Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for August 2nd, 2018. On today's episode, we're going to have a brief water cooler discussion, dig into the mailbag, and discuss the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta, and joining me on today's podcast is senior writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And writer Y. Tran Bui. Hey, everyone. Okay, guys, uh, I'm not going to be here for the water cooler on Monday, and uh, something happened to me yesterday that I, I posted about on Twitter, and a lot of uh, our listeners were like, can you please talk about this on the water cooler? And since I'm not going to be here on Monday, I thought I'd bring it up today. Um, and that is, uh, yesterday I went to Disney Animation Studios to cover an early press day for uh, Ralph Breaks the Internet which is not called Wreck-It Ralph 2 anymore. That still breaks my brain. And uh, we'll have coverage of that a month from now. I can't really say anything for now, but I was there all day doing interviews and seeing presentations, seeing footage. Uh, I, res- I came home late in the day. My The elevator to my... Uh, I live in a condo building, and the elevator was broken, and I uh, went to the mailbox, and there was like... You know, these huge packages. So I was carrying these huge packages up the stairs, and I'm... You know, not to give you too, too much information, but I was, uh, you know, I, 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 there's a few floors, and uh, I'm also not uh, the the 
the best in shape guy. Uh, I'm out of shape, okay? I'm out of shape, guys. So I get to my door. I let myself in. I immediately want to get into the AC. It, it's hot here in California. It's, what, probably in the 90s right now, I guess? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, so I take off my clothes. I wear, like, gym running shorts. Where? Peter, Peter, Peter. What? This is too much. This is too, too much too information. Much. Well, I, need, I, I think you need this information. I, th- I think there needs to be uh, some uh, build up to this. <laughs> Then okay. I'm, I'm sorry. My dog uh, pooped, so I had to clean that up, put it in the trash, took the trash outside to put it like right in front of my uh, my unit, to bring it down later to the to the trash. And as I did that, my door with a gust of wind closed. Oh no! So I'm standing outside my place with my phone, only my phone. Um, I'm wearing, I am wearing a t-shirt uh, and like gym shorts. You, if you saw me on the street, you'd be like, why is that guy wearing gym shorts outside? Um, oh, and socks. I'm not wearing any shoes. I have no way to get in. My girlfriend Kitra is away at her mom's house. So it's not like she's even going to come home that day. And I, uh, at that time, had no secret key locations or anything like that. And uh, I looked at my phone and because I was at Disney all day, my phone's at 2%. I didn't know what to do because I don't have any ID on me, right? Um, so if I call a locksmith, and even if I get to the locksmith, by the time my battery dies, like, I don't think they could show up in my place and, you know, let me into my place because I have no proof that, you know, I live there, right? Like, hmm. I have no ID or anything. Yeah. So I start knocking my neighbor's doors because uh, this has happened at my uh, at my place before where my neighbors have knocked on my door and been like, can I jump over your we, – we have uh, patios and they kind of share – each other's like a fence, but, you know, you can jump over the fence. And so I knocked on their doors, hoping that one of them might let me jump over. My uh, neighbor to my left was out. My neighbor to my right, who uh, is a not-to-be-named famous sci-fi actor, was not home, but his uh, housekeeper was there. And his housekeeper, uh, being a good housekeeper, did not allow me into their unit to jump over the fence on the patio. And I, I totally get that that's, especially if you're a housekeeper or <laughs> for, for some famous person, um, right. you know, you don't let anybody in. But it was frustrating. No, I asked her and she said no, so I went away. <laughs> and then, like, I want to say, like, 45 minutes later, I'm in the sun waiting for someone to come come home on the other wow, side. Wow, you were Hope- out there for a while. Yeah, I was out there for a while and my phone died. Or, no. My phone was about to die. I was at 1%. And so I went back to the housekeeper because my girlfriend's texting me, go back, plead your case. She'll let you do it. And I was like, no, you don't know. Like, you know, it's a, this is an actor's housekeeper. They're not, it's just not going to happen. Um, so I went back there and I pleaded with her. And I was like, look, I, I can show you pictures of my place and my, my dog. So you can hear barking right now because I'm locked out. And she just was not having any of it. Um, <laughs> And I really thought, like, I, I texted my girlfriend who's in, in Sacramento, and I was like, you might have to drive home tonight <laughs> because I, I can't get in. And I'm, like, locked out with my socks and my shorts. You know, I'm running around with socks and shorts, and there's no, nothing I can do. Uh, luckily, one of my neighbors, like, three apartments down was leaving their unit, and they're like, you're locked out? And I was like, yeah, and was, I'll let you jump over. And I was like, well, but if I jump over the, the thing, I'm c- cutting through someone else's patio. 
but I may be homeless. So, so yeah, <laughs> l- let's do that. So, yeah, I went up there uh, to his patio and very clear to me. But Oh, by the way, yeah, I went up to his patio, not to make this longer. But uh, so this was like three apartments down and the, there were some people in the patio next door. So I, I felt uncomfortable jumping over the thing and I asked my neighbors, like, do you know the you know your neighbors can you ask them if i can go through their you know patio and he asked and the the guy living there imagine dave batista he looks like drax he has like you know (laughs) huge muscles whatever and he's like sure yeah yeah no problem and he looks at me i look at him he looks at me and it's very clear that he knows that i know that he knows that i'm not able to jump over these (laughs) so how how tall are these fences well they're not that tall but like it's just I mean, they're they're like five feet, but they're they're not like fences where you can like climb up them. Yeah, they're yeah. like bar- barriers. Does that yeah. make sense? Mm-hmm. And also, we're like five, six floors from the ground. I don't know. It's uh, it's right next to the ledge. I don't know. It, it's it's not whatever. Uh, and I'm like, you know, I've been outside. I think for maybe an hour at that point, sweating, <laughs> and and uh, I I don't know. I, I think it was clear that he knew that I wasn't doing it. So uh, he was like, "I got it," and he 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 went and jumped over my my fences, and uh, and uh, he saved my life. He's my hero, Drax the Destroyer. I mean, not <laughs> actually Drax, but uh, you know, my neighbor. Uh, so, anyways, uh, I apologize to my TV sci-fi actor neighbor that uh, Drax the Destroyer uh, illegally cut through your patio to let me in, but <laughs> but it, it had to be done. It, it had to be done. Okay. Anyways, guys, uh, I thought people would get uh, would 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 enjoy that story. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, that was a wild story, Peter. <laughs> yes. Okay. Let's uh let's get into the mailbag. We have a bunch of stuff to read because we haven't gotten into the mailbag in a couple weeks now, and I think most of these emails are self-explanatory. So I I'll, I'll just read through them, and uh, at the end uh, we'll see if there's any uh, comments. Uh, but Leanne R writes in uh because uh, a couple weeks back we were talking about this run p app which is this app that lets you know when is a good time to go to the bathroom during a movie and also tells you what's happening while you're in the bathroom uh and we kind of i think all mocked that app uh leanne r wrote in wanting to give a short defense of the run p app uh she has a friend who is a girl who notoriously would take bathroom breaks at least two during films by the way I would not go to the movies with this this woman. Not not Leanne, but her friend. I that would just be bug me too much. Um, but uh, anyways, they got her the Run P app uh, and it prevent you know. So then Leanne didn't have to uh, recap it for when, whenever she got back, uh, and it helped out in her movie going experiences with her friend. So I, I guess this Run P app. Uh, you know, does have a purpose. And also uh, Matt B wrote in from Tacoma, Washington, also in support of the Run P app. Uh, he calls it a fantastic app, uh, says he understands that not all people need it for the P portion. However, the Run portion in Run P is a small part that recaps the first three minutes of a film in case you are running late. Uh, now, I could see that a benefit of that. And he also says that the best part of the app is not promoted. They include whether or not there are anything post-credits. If the, if there is, they, they'll give an opinion on if it's worth staying around for without giving any spoilers. Um, actually, I'll stop here. Uh, HT, Ben, uh, do you think that is something you might use? 
Um, I just don't trust anybody to tell me whether, you know, I don't, I don't trust anybody else's opinion, basically. Like I, I if I'm there to see the movie, I want to see it for myself. You know, I, I'm not interested in what somebody else thinks about if I will get any value out of something that's after the credits or, or even like, I don't trust somebody else's synopsis of the first three minutes. Like they may give you the basic facts, but they're not, they might not give you um, the fact that one character shot another character, a certain look that will, you know, flavor their emotional relationship as the movie, you know, plays on. There, there's just so much. Um, yeah, it might work in, but you in could the, use it just uh, the to abstract. Know, just to know if there's something there or not. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like um, I feel like maybe this would be I mean, of course, we're we're in like a, a more of a a different position than the average run P user, I think, because we, for the most part, we pretty much know if there are post credits, uh, scenes, uh, you know, before we even go out to a theater to see them, it's like, if it's Marvel or whatever, we, we pretty much know to stick around. So, um, yeah, I could see that how, how like, you know, my parents or somebody might get, uh, some actual beneficial use out of that. HT, should people be sticking around to the end of the credits, honoring all these people, all these names that helped make this work of art that they just uh, took in? Or should they be using this app to see if there's something there? Um, I don't know. I'm kind of on the side <laughs> of Ben here. I think if you if you want to know the credits, then you'll stick around. But you know, if, if you aren't quite that interested, then... It, I don't think you'll miss anything if you leave. So I, I don't know. It's it seems like the demographic for this particular app would not be a huge amount of people. So <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've heard about this app from quite a few people, but uh, you know, we are in this movie bubble, so I don't know. Uh, let's move on to Drew from Houston, Texas. He writes in uh, that uh, he used to be a person who worked in a movie theater in Oklahoma a, a few years back. And he always he says that because we were talking about uh, leaving messes in movie theaters. And he says that the, them uh, at the theater chain he worked at, they always had people cleaning the theaters and they'd walk each row and sweep up the trash. He says, I don't think it's awful for people to leave trash on the ground as long as it's easy to sweep like candy wrappers and pieces of popcorn which I think was uh, Matt Singer's uh, whole thing that with the piece that you know spawned that whole discussion. Um, drinks left in cup holders would be disposed by our workers. However, people can be really, really gross and rude. Almost every day, there would be someone who'd leave a cup of dip, sip, dip, spit in the cup holder. Things like this would make you almost dry heave uh, when you went to go throw them away. If you throw away your trash, thanks for helping us out. If you don't. It's not a big deal unless it's gross. So please don't be gross, he says. Uh, Robert L. writes in, uh, because I was talking about, uh, I think a few days ago, the potential of uh, converting all my physical media over to Voodoo so that I could have it uh, on my iTunes uh, in on Apple TV. And he writes in that he's been u- using this Voodoo disc-to-digital service uh, in Movies Anywhere to convert his Blu-rays to iTunes uh, for, for a while now. He finds it to be worth it, and the process has come with some disappointments, though. He, he warns that you can only get HD quality even if a movie is available in 4K on iTunes, and some single discs are not eligible... Uh, for disc to digital in most box sets are not eligible. Uh, you have to check and make sure the movie is available in movies everywhere. And uh, also you can only do a hundred movies per year. So I guess that 
that prevents people from just scanning, you know, going to Target and scanning the UPC codes and building a whole collection for $2 a movie on their digital mm-hmm. services. Um, and uh, we, we got a couple more. I'm sorry, guys. This is running long. Uh, Michael from Kansas City writes in uh, that he had to po- pass, pause the podcast in utter shock when he heard me say that I hadn't seen Deadwood. Uh, to echo Chris's thoughts, not only is it among the best HBO series, the roles and performances are pretty much career best for the entire cast he goes on that he initially hated the show uh but he 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 went back to it after one of his friends encouraged him to go see it and uh he binged it and loved it and has uh you know followed uh the showrunner's career mostly since uh and he encourages me to go go watch it which i will um and lastly james from england writes in we've been talking a lot about movie pass and a list lately um and he's from england and he uh we were theorizing about the potential ramifications of having all these people that are kind of going to the movies uh with the mindset of like oh it's free because you know i I pay for the subscription and maybe there are more people talking and more people texting and more people you know just uh devaluing the experience as a whole and he says that uh, in England, they've had this these kind of passes for a while now. They've had this thing called Cineworld Unlimited since 2008. So they've had it for a whole decade before us. And it basically having the same features. And he, he basically, I'm not going to read what he says here. I'll put it in the show notes. But he basically says that uh, it hasn't uh, degraded the filmmaking, uh, film-going experience any for him. There are some people that talk and some people that text. But he thinks it's just the normal amount. I'm, I'm just wondering if uh, I'm wondering if our movie going experience is going to go downhill. And if if you guys have any questions, comments for the mailbag, uh, we do often read them on the air. You can send them to Peter at SlashFilm.com and uh, leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention them on the air. But uh, we've gone <laughs> a bit of time now and we have not gotten into the news. So I guess we should just get right into it. And let's start off with um, a new study that has found that the the portion of time that Tom Cruise runs equates to how good his movies are. Uh, HT, tell us about the science. Yes, science says so, so it must be true. So you guys might have noticed that Tom Cruise runs a lot in his movies. Uh, If you haven't, then just Google it and you'll find plenty of video compilations just compiling all of his movies since in which he runs uh, a a lot. And um, he even has in his Twitter bio running in movies since 1981. So Rotten Tomatoes has uh, conducted a very scientific study in which they compiled every instance of Tom Cruise's running on screen in seconds and then calculated that distance he ran by assuming he is clocking a six-minute mile. So what they found was in movies featuring Tom Cruise running more than a thousand feet, uh, they tended to have a higher tomato meter average, 71%, um, and that those statistics generally translate to a higher box office revenue as well. On average, those movie uh, have an inflated international gross of $538 million. So this is compared to movies in which he hasn't run at all, which are movies like, which are only four films, Magnolia, Lions for Lambs, um, Tropic Thunder, and Valkyrie, which has an average of 63.5%. And then uh, other ones in which he runs only up to 500 feet, 61.05, or 
between 500 and 1,000 feet, which is 61.625. So uh, as you can tell, this is science. And we are all grateful that Tom Cruise runs as much as he does because we get better movies for it. Um, if you want to know more about this study, we have uh, summarized it in um, on Slashfilm.com. But there's a also the top 10 movies in which he runs the most. And of course, two of those top movies are Mission Impossible 3, in which he runs 3,212 feet, and then Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, which is 3,066 feet. You know, I'd love to, or, no, I wouldn't love to be the person who had to actually figure out how many feet he was actually running in any given scene. Do you think they just like, you know, had a certain amount per second that he's running and just like, you know, did the math? Accordingly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah. said they calculated the distance by assuming he was clocking a six-minute mile. So they would uh, time how long he he ran, and then like they had some algorithm in which, in which they compared it to, which they then translated to feet per second. Do Do we know that Tom Cruise runs a six-minute mile? I I'm assuming he's running faster. He looks like he's running faster than that for me. Maybe it's his form. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, we don't know his uh, his actual mile. Um, run time. I feel like that should be a question that someone asks him in a next interview so we can get the a more accurate study. I feel like if I was Tom Cruise or I was Tom Cruise's people, I would be, after reading this study, I would be, in, you know, acquiring the rights to one of those many, like, app games uh, that, you know, those running app games where you're running from left to right and you just continuously run. I don't know what those are called. Um, but oh, like whole, Temple Run or something? Yeah, like one of those app games and basically make the big screen version of that because, I mean, he'd be running the whole movie. So it must be <laughs> it would be the greatest movie of all time, right? <laughs> okay. It would have 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yes. Uh, let, let's now move over to uh, Crazy Rich Asians. Uh, the filmmakers, John Chu and the, the, the writer of the book, apparently turned down a giant payday from Netflix to go theatrical. Ben, tell us about it. Yeah, so The Hollywood Reporter has this really excellent cover story about the making of Crazy Crazy Rich Asians, which comes out um, later this month. And uh, Kevin Kwan, who's the author who wrote the book on which the movie is based, and John Chu, who is the director, um, they both sort of had the um, – it was basically their decision of how this movie was going to be seen by by audiences. And there were a bunch of different um, places that were sort of vying for it, and ultimately it came down to Warner Brothers or Netflix. And Netflix – threw in a greenlit trilogy and huge like seven figure paydays for each of them and for like the the stakeholders basically uh if they were to go with Netflix but they ended up thinking that it was far more important for them instead of just getting rich, like so rich that Quan said that he could just move to an island and never work another day in his life. Uh it was more important that instead of getting rich for them to actually create like a a normal theatrical experience for everyone to go see this movie and put these Asian American characters uh, in in this film in in a way where this is the first um, really big studio produced movie that is aimed and and focused on an Asian American cast in like 25 years, which is kind of crazy to think about. So there's a lot riding on this film, and you can read more about that in the piece. They have a bunch of quotes about um, basically like how they they came to cast a bunch of different people and how important it was for them to actually make sure that this movie you know got into actual theaters instead of just um, you know people sitting on their couches and, and pressing a button to watch it on Netflix. But uh, yeah, it's it's kind of interesting you know 
going through and seeing their thought process and, and realizing how, you know, what they valued um, in terms of the story. And um, I'm sure that, you know, this movie, I hope it, it does tremendously well at the box office because that would mean that it would sort of be added to that pile of films like Black Panther and Get Out and um, tons of others, you know, Girls Trip over the, the past few years that have um, proven to Hollywood that uh, there is an audience out there and, and they're willing to see uh, movies that are not just straight down the middle, you know, standard uh, white protagonist kind of thing. Now, uh, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. These filmmakers are obviously trying to promote this film and they're trying to make the big pitch for people to go see it and why it's important. Um, would, on the other hand, if they had sold it to Netflix and it did well on Netflix, Netflix is greenlighting more content than any other, you know, company, right? So if it had done well on Netflix, wouldn't that have resulted probably in more uh, Asian-led programming in the end? Uh, HG, I'm sure you probably have some thoughts about that. Um, and by the yeah. way, I want to say whenever I do this Devil's Advocate, that doesn't mean I am thinking this way. I'm trying to find the other side of this. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, I think that a lot of the reason that they would rather have a theatrical release is even if people are seeing less movies in theaters, it still has a broader impact than it would have on Netflix, where a lot of the times movies are kind of a dump there if they were intended for theatrical release originally. And it still has the sort of um, reputation as being kind of direct video. And because there's so much Netflix content, as diverse as it is, some really great movies do end up getting buried. And Netflix might be sort of pioneering more diverse uh, rom-com content. But I think that they were right to like sort of shoot for the theaters and uh, hope for a broader audience because uh, with a theatrical release, they can not only um, impact people domestically, but also internationally. I mean, I do yeah. think you're right. I think that they have more of a chance of affecting pop culture, um, you know, being theatrical than being on Netflix where sometimes I can't even find the Netflix exclusive original content that, uh, on their platform the day it comes out because, you know, it's just so many squares of other stuff. Uh, ben, what were you going to say? Yeah, I was just going to say that there's there's definitely power to putting a movie in a theater. You know, even if even if the film doesn't perform as well or does isn't ultimately seen by as many people as it might have been uh, through Netflix, I think the statement is important, right? That that this is a thing that has value and that should be um, you know put in theaters alongside all these other stories. And like you know, you don't have to go back very far to see the impact of something like this. I mean, just look at what happened with Coco last year and how how many people saw that movie and were, you know, just like breaking down crying because they had not seen themselves as, as characters in that way before on screen where it's not really made a big deal of. And that's, you know, it's just treated as normal. And that's the thing that we're always talking about is how important representation is. And, you know, I think they're they were uh, they decided to swing for the fences and they've realized that there's a lot of pressure on them to perform well. Um, and I hope, again, that they do. But I, I just think that it's it's a bold choice for them to say, yes, this movie belongs in theaters instead of, yeah, maybe being relegated to Netflix. Well, talking about performing well, HT did an article on how this movie is tracking. Uh, can you tell us about how this movie is tracking, how much movie it was made for and if if it's looking good or not? 
Um, so Crazy Rich Asians is tracking for about an 18 million plus opening uh, for its opening weekend. Uh, Warner Brothers released its own tracking, which is about 18 million, but other insiders report that it has estimates about 20 million as well. And this is a pretty solid opening for a, a rom-com, like a studio rom-com, uh, even though it doesn't have the same numbers as a blockbuster, for example. It's very good uh, compared to other rom-coms that have performed recently and definitely compared to the latest Asian American led movie, which was probably uh, 2002's Better Luck Tomorrow, and before that, 1993's The Joy Luck Club. So both of those movies did. I think the The Joy Luck Club was the one that did the best, which was about a 32 million run overall. Uh, so 18 million is already really good for what we're looking in terms of a movie that has this many stakes on it, and hopefully it'll be it'll do even better as more interest accumulates for it. Yeah, and the, the movie was made for 30 million dollars. This is like. By the way, this movie is like almost every single checkbox of what is not made for theatrical Hollywood nowadays. Like, first of all, Asian led, right? It's a romantic mm-hmm. comedy. It's made for thirty million dollars. Like, you know what I mean, like, it, like, uh, it, it's like you know, it, it is the list of movies that Hollywood is not making these days. Uh, for thirty million dollar movie, I think you got to make probably like sixty million dollars to uh, be considered a success. Or uh, to break even. And, uh, you know, with a $20 million opening, they'll probably get there. And uh, this is the kind of film, these are the kind of films I feel like they have more legs uh, than your typical, you know, uh, box office heavy opening weekend uh, film, like, you know, an Infinity War or Mission Impossible, uh, because this is the kind of thing that if it's good, you know, the word of mouth spreads and, uh, you know, your mom, your dad, your sister, you know, whatever, they go and see this this film. Uh, so we'll have to see how it does. And, uh, you know, we'll be talking about it because obviously it is important. Uh, but let's move on uh, from theatrical to Netflix. Uh, and this is the story of Andy Serkis, who apparently everything he's doing, he's, he's trying to make all these movies and uh, they're all ending up direct to streaming netflix is buying it all uh this time they're buying his animal farm motion capture adaptation ben tell us about it yeah so uh, i think it was last week uh, we found out that netflix bought andy circus's Mowgli movie which is his take on uh, the jungle book and so that movie is going straight to netflix and now uh, word comes out that uh, andy circus who's been trying to work on a movie adaptation of animal farm which is george orwell's iconic novel about farm animals that sort of doubles as a, an indictment of stalinism is also going to be coming to netflix now so uh yeah, Deadline reports that Andy Serkis is going to be directing this movie, which, again, is going to be motion captured, much like a lot of the stuff that he does. Uh, he has been trying to get this movie made since, I think, like 2013, and it was originally supposed to start shooting back in 2014. Obviously, that never happened. Um, he's It's basically going to be using the same kind of performance capture technology that he used for The Jungle Book, which is a bunch of characters are going to be playing farm animals, but instead of shooting real animals and showing them with, you know, their mouths moving or whatever, um, it's going to be generated by the actor's actual performance. So the physicality and facial expressions of all the animals are going to come directly from the actor's performances. And that's what uh, Circus said at the time. So um, that's basically what what the method that he's going to be using here. Um, Animal Farm, I've never actually read it. I think this is one that a lot of people probably read in high school because it was required reading. I, I read 1984, but I, I was not required to read this book and i just never gotten around to it. But I know that it's a, a story about a bunch of farm animals and it's basically this big, um, 
you know, satire uh, send up of um, <laughs> all sorts of different political ideologies. And uh, oh, and the one other thing I wanted to mention is that Matt Reeves, who is the director of the last two uh, Planet of the Apes movies that Circus starred in, is going to be producing this film. Um, so th- that's kind of a cool connection for those two guys, a, a reunion for them. I mean, I, I do think this is notable because Netflix is now this is going to be the second the second Andy Serkis uh, movie that Netflix is is producing that is, uh, you know, or releasing that is motion capture. And like, I feel like when that first became a thing with like what uh, the the Robert Zemeckis films and then, you know, kind of became big with Avatar. Like, I, I never thought that we would see a day where like a company like Netflix, which is, you know, just a streaming company would be. The one releasing those those kind of original movies, you know, that's just kind of insane. Rebecca Ferguson, who we last saw in Mission Impossible Fallout, is joining the Men in Black spinoff. HD, tell us about it. So Rebecca Ferguson, who stole the scenes in Mission Impossible Rogue Nation and Mission Impossible Fallout this year, has been hasn't really had her next big role. And I think this might be the next one with the Men in Black spinoff, which already stars Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson. According to Deadline, she's been cast in a mysterious role in the film. We don't know yet, but she'll be joining the film, uh, which already stars uh, Hemsworth and Thompson, as well as uh, Liam Neeson, Kumail Nanjani, Ray and Emma Thompson. I I didn't think I wanted a Men in Black spinoff, but uh, so far the casting in this has been pretty great. Uh, I don't know. It's 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 kind of making me curious and excited, even though I know it's probably not going to be good. But uh, Ben, do you have any thoughts? I'm I'm sort of right there with you. I I uh, am a big fan of Rebecca Ferguson, and I I feel like we've seen a lot of um, you know in our internal uh, slash film Slack channels. There's been a lot of speculation about what this means. Do we think? Uh, do you guys think that maybe she's playing a villain? I think that was uh, one of Jacob's theories. Ht, do you put any uh, any stock in that? I would really like to see her play a villain. Just personally, I think she could. Uh, act the hell out of a role kind of like that and it would be fun to see her sort of vamp it up on screen opposite uh, Hemsworth and Thompson so I think that that could possibly be the case um, I mean it's totally also plausible that she would be playing another MIB agent because she kind of fits the bill having played a, a spy in the Mission Impossible films and, but... and don't we know that this one's going to go international so they might have other bureaus from around the world of the, the men in black she could definitely like be like someone from the uh, you know UK bureau. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, okay. Our last and final story is a bit of a spoiler. No, it is a spoiler, right? <laughs> For Avengers: Infinity War. So if you have not seen Avengers: Infinity War, you can tune out now uh, because we're about to get into spoilers. Uh, and that is the writer for Avengers: Infinity War has finally explained why Thanos waited so long to execute his plan in that movie. Ben, tell us about it. Yeah, so it was six years between when audiences first saw Thanos and the mid credit scene of the Avengers to when he uh, basically destroyed half of the universe in Avengers Infinity War this year. So why did it take that long? Uh, Stephen McFeely, who is one of the co-writers, um, uh, according to the Avengers Infinity War commentary, uh, explained Thanos' timetable. And he said the catalyst for the whole movie was when Thanos figured out where the Soul Stone was because he captured Nebula on his ship after she went after him at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 and rooted around in her brain and found out that Gamora knew where the Soul Stone was. So it basically all boils down to Thanos wanted to know where all of the 
uh, infinity stones were so he could just you know bounce from one location to the next and gather all of them instead of getting them one at a time and maybe having to potentially fight off other people who might be looking for them or anything like that um i, I mean i think this is one of those things that we kind of assumed but i guess it, it's nice to have somebody in like an official capacity confirm this um and yeah, it's, the whole thing just really makes me feel bad for Nebula because she's basically a torture victim. I mean, that that scene in Infinity War where the camera moves to the side and you see that she's being, you know, stretched out against her will and sort of uh, physically broken um, as she as Thanos is trying to pump her for information is uh, is pretty horrifying. So um, I mean, I guess she cracked, and there's not. I mean, I certainly don't blame Nebula for that. Um, you know, we, I, was, I was sort of in this article wondering, like, who is ultimately responsible for this? Like, do you blame Nebula? Probably not. Do you blame Gamora for sharing the secret information with Nebula in the first place? I don't know about that. I, I think no, Thanos we, we is probably... No, we all blame Star-Lord. Star-Lord is to blame. <laughs> Well, yeah, you could a case could be made that that a lot of this is Star Lord's fault for not actually, uh, you know, for sort of freaking out. And right when the Avengers were at their closest point to being able to defeat him, he sort of uh, got emotional and lost it. So, yeah, there's a lot of um, different places that you could point the blame here. But I think ultimately it comes back to Thanos because he's the one who actually, you know, enacted this plan. He had this big vision for it. And, uh, you know, even going back to kidnapping and and raising these uh, these daughters as, as weapons in the universe um yeah this is this whole thing is definitely his fault yeah i I would expect um in the in this next film avengers 4 is it yeah uh that um that nebula would nebula will get some redemption of some kind i i feel like her role will have to be increased in that film in some way not that we know anything or know how how she'll play into that uh ht uh, who is to blame? Is, it, is Thanos to blame? Star-Lord? Nebula? It's obviously Star-Lord. No, <laughs> Thanos is the only one in which we can point the fingers um, because, you know, he's the he's the big bad. He's the only one who was trying to destroy the universe. But um, I think Nebula already had her redemption arc because she had such a great uh, redemption at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Although I, I am excited to see her in a more prominent role possibly in Avengers 4, just because I think she's such a compelling character and she shouldn't be blamed at all for getting her information tortured out of her. For sure. Okay, that brings us to the end of an overlong edition of Slash Film Daily. Uh, HD, where can we find more of your work online? You can find me every day at SlashFilm.com and I'm on Twitter at HTranBui. Ben, where can we find you? You can find me writing at SlashFilm.com. I'm on Twitter at BenPairs. And you can find me at Slashfilm on all social media. You can find all the articles we talked about today on Slashfilm.com and linked in the show notes. Uh, this podcast, Slashfilm Daily, is published every weekday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Uh, please feel free to send us your questions, comments, concerns, feedback to Peter at Slashfilm.com. And please go rate and read this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends. Spread the word. And we will see you tomorrow. <laughs>